really when, for me, the magic of a panel surfaces. And uh, they told me that they want to hear you know, the hardest questions. They want to hear really the, the, the things that you guys want to know, things that they may not necessarily feel comfortable about a shareholder meeting. This is the opportunity to, uh, to, to put them to the test. So without further ado, um, I'm going to start right away. And I can tell you, as a lawyer, people are really calling me for three things these days. Divorces, slip and falls too. We did, I did a big circuit of slip and falls this week. People are calling me about marijuana and how to get into the business and blockchain anything. So how do I get to crypto? I want a mining center and a lot of my buddies in real estate are getting flooded with people from China, uh, locally. We, we want to know how to get into it. So this is a trend for me and let's get right into it. Are you getting the same kind? Maybe not the divorce questions, but are you getting the same kind? What do you see as a trend um, in, in the market? A trend today and a future trend? Uh, works? Yeah. 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 Okay. Sorry. Um, thank you. Uh, well, basically today what we are seeing, we're definitely at the wind in our back as far as real estate in some sectors a little bit more than others, but uh, we have an influx of uh, people coming uh, from offshore, Asia, uh, Europe, um, and um, it's creating uh, a demand. Uh, I think in the real estate side, which uh, Sam will probably uh, address that uh, uh, later, but uh, uh, we've seen increases almost in all levels. Uh, where is that going to lead? Uh, I've been around long enough to, to see uh, cycles, uh, peaks and valleys. I think this peak where we're heading, and we are, I think, at a peak, it's going to hold there for a little while. Uh, the economy is good. Um, everything is strong. The only thing that worries me a little bit is the raising the interest rates, which will definitely happen. Uh, we don't know uh, how, when, and how much. Uh, this can probably slow down, but jobs are good. Uh, economy in itself uh, is very positive. So I think we're good. I think we're heading for you know, a nice positive trend. So we hear, we hear about bubbles in Vancouver, where there's offshore buyers who are just parking, you know, parking into real estate. Toronto, same kind of trend. When you talk about you know, we're good now and we're going to hold, is this a Montreal-specific thing? Is this Canadian? How, do you, how does Montreal identify in that, in that trend that you are identifying? Well, the nice thing about uh, Montreal, first of all, yes, I, I, I do mean Montreal uh, more uh, than out west. The nice thing about Montreal is room. And why there's room? Because uh, we have not had the peaks that uh, Ontario PC had. Um, so when we look at Vancouver and we see, uh, and Toronto, and we see where the market has gone, especially in the residential area, uh, we know we can have, we have that buffer to play with. Uh, so it's only a matter of supply and demand, mainly demand. Uh, the demand is there right now, and I think uh, that Montreal will pick up some of the lost time that we had in the, in the last uh, years. Um, as far as BC, and Rome have been saying for the longest time, it's, it's it's going to level off, it's going to level off, but it hasn't. Uh, it surprises me every time we go to Toronto, especially along the QE, the QEW. Uh, it's, it's crazy, this condos touching almost the highway, one after the other. And there's not, it's a little bit of a different market. Uh, Montreal doesn't have that influence of uh, offshore, uh, which we're seeing, it's gripping up right now. But the demand in Toronto is basically that mass of people coming in. Uh, I mean, when you look at the States, uh, the United States is a young country compared to so many. And look at the growth that Canada has that growth. Uh, my, my only worry is, is, is that let's, and I don't think it's going to happen, uh, let's hopefully we're not we're not going to have too much of an increase because if we have even, let's say, in 18 months, 
one, one and a half percent increase in the overall rate. Um, a lot of real estate, commercial real estate today is bought based on your cash flow after debt or your uh, NOI minus your debt. And when you include, uh, when, when you consider uh, even a 1%, 100 basis points increase, that's going to lower. Yeah, it's a bigger break, even a 1%. Exactly. So that's good. That's, that's the worry we have. So what, what do you, uh, you, you share those thoughts um, specifically in different markets? What is your outlook? Current trends, future trends, I'm looking forward to the issue. I think that was not purpose. I think in, in Montreal, team, you know, hit the, the nail with uh, the hammer. Uh, what's important also to, to add on to what uh, what he mentioned was, as I mentioned, a one percent uh, increase in interest rates. Typically, when you're buying for investment purposes or buying for living purposes, uh, the interest rate is going to be something that's really going to affect your decision because of the fact that when you go out and buy a house to live in, you're typically buying it with twenty percent down. And 80% of it is finance. A one point uh, rise in interest rate is going to have a five time multiple uh, change or effect on, on your return. Uh, you're not really looking at return when you buy residential, but move it over to the investment purposes. A one point change or a 100 basis point change in your uh, in your interest rate uh, will have a, a five time levered up uh, effect. So it's it's something to, to look at, and, and you know people are always going to try to achieve the same type of return. So what does that mean? It means that the prices for real estate have to go down in order for people to achieve those same returns. So I, I think that's something always that we should keep in mind. Uh, but what we are seeing in, in Quebec and in Montreal is yes, we're, we're uh, you know the, the growth is there. Uh, it's definitely not the, the same type of growth that we're seeing in Toronto. You know, three years ago in Toronto, condos were selling at eight hundred dollars a square foot in downtown Toronto. Uh, today they're selling at 1100 $1,200 a square foot in downtown Toronto. Uh, we're about halfway there in Montreal, so there, there's room to uh, to grow for sure. Uh, but at one point, these other provinces that have experienced this growth are, are really gonna are gonna level off. And I think the best person to talk about that is maybe maybe Sam. Good segue. Good segue. Sam, what do you think? What do you think about the uh, current and future trends this month? <clears throat> Montreal is doing uh, fantastic. The downtown Montreal, so much demand. I, I think, you know, the beautiful, brand new, high-rise condo in downtown Montreal, big demand. People love to live in downtowns. And the new buildings, the brand new buildings, we haven't seen too many until recently. And there's just so much demand for it. So. Um, Sam, who is buying these condos? Is the, is the population growth and the, the, Montreal, the Montreal population justify all of this construction? Who's living in these places? Well, <clears throat> so I, I don't think we respect that. We can, we can go to commercial break. <laughs> that was too loaded. Commercial break, yeah. No, actually, we, we're, uh, we're lucky. You know, people love our city. And I know that we before it was Vancouver and Toronto, but now Montreal is is a hot item, and, and people are moving here. Asians are coming here, Arabic people are coming here, um, and for the first place they're looking at is downtown because you know they just feel comfortable. It's a secure investment for them. They they trust downtown. And that's why there's this all this activity, all these high rises are, are being built in downtown because so many of the foreign buyers are coming here. But also, it's the city itself, it's Quebec itself, people moving into Montreal. And we have young professionals, we have students, uh, we have uh, people in their 50s, they just want to, it's all about this, now we're, we're seeing that urban lifestyle is really, really, it's hot. People like that. They don't want to drive, they want to walk. They, they, they like all the amenities in the buildings. They like the pool on the roof, the gym, the lounge. They, they, they love all this. And they just want to walk outside their door, their downtown. So, so, so we should continue to bet on the common market for a little, a little while longer. Pardon? We should continue to bet on the common market for a little while, a little while longer. 
I think we're, we're just starting. I mean, look, of course, when you compare it to uh, Vancouver, where the prices are, I mean, we're a bargain. Yeah. We're a bargain. You can buy, we're, uh, our, our projects on Drummond, but all the projects downtown, the average price for a one bedroom is around <coughs> 400000 And if you try to buy a one bedroom in Vancouver or even Toronto, Vancouver would probably be a million and a half or a million two, and Toronto is easily 800. So Montreal is still really a bargain, uh, but it, it's it's changing. In the last two two years ago, we were selling the condos more like around 300, and now they're at 400. So it is catching up to to Toronto and, and Vancouver, and it's going to continue. It's going to continue because uh, that's the way we're. <coughs> I'll just probably, while we are on that subject, um, there is something also that uh, creates a little bit of a demand, which um, at, at your stage you're very far from there, but it's uh, uh, the baby boomers that are downsizing. And although it doesn't create the biggest demand, but we are entering since already a few years in, in about 10 to 20 years of extra demand that is out there, the people that are selling their uh, home that they live in for the last 50 years, and uh, they're downsizing. They either buying apartment, uh, condos or rentals, or ultimately going to see the citizen. But um, uh, th this is one thing I just wanted to, to mention, that there's a little fraction of the big demand that is coming for from uh, baby boomers. We'll keep going, otherwise we're going to get into our topics left with the two, uh, the two of the panelists. Uh, Qu'est-ce que vous en dites? Est-ce que vous êtes... Uh, Est-ce que vous êtes de, de, de même opinion? Are you about the same opinion? Yes,
So you know, from our business perspective, uh, that's an opportunity, and we try to, to seize um, those opportunities. As far as Montreal is concerned, um, I know meeting investors on a regular basis, I chose in Vancouver Thursday, doing an investor tour in Toronto not long ago, investor tour, and, and it's kind of a, it's kind of interesting. I've been in this for a long time. Uh, in the past, people have been very negative about Quebec, Montreal, Quebec in general, and I'd say the obviously the attitude is, is very different today. People are, are much more positive about uh, Quebec and, 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 and Montreal. So we've definitely seen that change over the last uh, 12 months, uh, whereas for years and years and years, the guy would look at me and like, Quebec, Montreal, so I want to be Yeah, we were together though. Yes. And now our sock is, our sock is hot. Our, our, it's more hot. Our, uh, our hydro is cheap. I guess. And you know, people, people want in, people are looking for ways to get in. Talking about how to get in and what to do. What I'm hearing from the panel right now is, the senior residences, our population is, is getting old. Downtown core, we're building massive um, uh, construction high-rises for, for apartment buildings. And um, industrial complexes off-island on the Palais de Siège Social, that's kind of that's one, one in a thousand. So if you guys, if you guys are 20 years old right now, you all look young, but if you're, if, you're, if you're going back and we're, we're in pretend land and you're 20 years old, how do you get into the game with the benefit of all the knowledge that you have now? What do you tell your 20-year-old son or your 20-year-old daughter or your 20-year-old self about where to go to get into the game? Because you know, the reality is that it's capital intensive and it requires the contacts and the knowledge base. Where do you go? How do you get in if you're 20 years old? You go anywhere. <laughs> it, 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 and I said, like I said this last year, it doesn't matter where you go, you've got to get in. you got to start. Once you get in, then you're going to figure it out. If you've got, if you've got what it takes, you're going to figure it out. And if you don't, well, you're in the wrong game, and you might as well get out. But you've got to get in somehow. And, and I can't say that, I can't emphasize that enough. Get in the door, one way or another. And again, if you've got it, it will show, and, and you will do well. That, that's amazing advice. I was with uh, Riz from Canvel. Uh, we did a, we did a, thing, we did a uh, panel discussion on uh, an influence TO, and with him and somebody from, from WeWork. And if you guys haven't checked his bio, it's, it's, it's mind boggling what he did with the Tour de Canadien. And the way that he got it, the way that he promoted it, I mean, talking about underdog, he, he sold it, he had that amazing story, uh, but he just went for it. So that, what I'm hearing is that there's a massive risk component, but you got to start somewhere, right? You're 20 years old, what's the risk? No, I'm sorry, I, I forgot we were playing that game. We're 20. For 20 years old? We're 20. I forgot the rules of my own game, I'm sorry. you got to step up, you got to get into the world, and then you have to make it happen. Ultimately, obviously, there can be a little bit of good timing at the right place at the right time. certainly helps. Um, but as I, I said, there's no magic entry into the real estate industry. It depends on your personality and your skills, and there are many ways in. You can be a lawyer, you know, or a lender, or an accountant, or a research person, or, or a builder, or a leasing person, or a salesperson. There's no magic way in. Just, just, just start. Good. We'll, we'll, we'll actually keep passing the mic around. And, uh, you're 20 years old. What do you do? I was 20 years old. That's so old. <laughs> <laughs> so you really are 20 years old. I'm closer to the 30s, though. But um, I would say, like, real estate fluctuates so much. You can't just, like, say, uh, office work, like, it's working fine right now. I'm going to try to go into office. Just jump in it. And you can start somewhere, and it's just a small world. You have so many contacts. You have so much to learn. Like, I've been learning for the past two years and a half at CBRE every day with all the people that were, like, surrounding me because I was surrounded by investment people, office people, industrial, multi-res. So just don't fear to get in and don't, don't expect the first years to be as successful necessarily, but I'm certain that these guys have more history than I have. Excellent, thank you Sam. You're 20 years old. After you go backpacking around Europe, and come back and want to get into real estate, what do you do? Well, I'll, I'll say my actual real story. I borrowed $60,000, signed a contract, and I, I had to pay $110 back. And the I, I think those were legal interest rates, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, okay, <laughs> But, you know, I was 24, so it's hard 
It's hard at 24 years old. I, I wanted to I wanted to do my first uh, condo. Uh, so it was a, a fifty-five thousand dollar piece of land. I needed uh, one sixty thousand, and then I had to uh, pay the hundred and ten, which I did. It worked out, and that's how it started. Nineteen ninety-one. Amazing. And then, based on what you know today, is that still possible? Like, is, are those opportunities still available? You know, for the lending and where have the rules of the game changed? That's a pretty good rate of return, don't you think? I'm, I'm interested in interested investing in that. 60 for one day, I think it's still possible. I think, you know, the young people today, they, they have to come up with a good idea, they have to have um, a good plan, and people will support them. I mean, if, if it makes sense, if there's money to make, if it looks good, there's always someone out there that wants to participate and, and uh, make some money too. So that, that's what it's about. It's, but a little bit what uh, the, uh, Mr. Zakura was saying, you know, if, if the person has it, you know, there's passion, they work at it. So that's what the person needs. And uh, you have it when, when it's for you. you know, so you've got to keep trying and see what fits, what works. And sometimes it's, it's, it, it might not necessarily be residential, maybe it could be something else. It could be, there's so much, real estate is very, very fast. So it's, it's finding what appeals to, to the, the person. It's, it's not about one size fits all, so I, I like that. And, and what, so what are you telling your 20 year old self? You're going off our 20. Yeah, so like uh, I was saying, I was 20 years old 10 years ago. So it's, uh, I can remember quite well 10 years ago what I was thinking and 10 years ago I was, I was in this room in this building or, or the age building down, down the street and uh, at that time I was studying accounting uh, did my CA exam and all that stuff and started working in the big firms I was at uh, I was at Deloitte and you start working there it's something new uh, and you're sitting there and you're like okay I'm, I'm an accountant now or you're working in advisory you're working on transactions and you look at the you know, the people you're working for, and you're like, I'm gonna be like that one day, I'm gonna be a partner here. And after a certain, you know, amount of time, you're gonna start figuring out what you like, and more importantly, you're gonna start realizing what you don't like. So another opportunity came up, and I said I wanted you know, to go into more of a, a consulting or an operations role. Uh, so I went into retail restructuring consulting. Uh, did it for a little while, uh, a lot of experience in a, in a short amount of time, and then one day I got a phone call from Michael. And Michael said, we have this real estate company that uh, has been around for a little while. We need somebody that's gonna you know, step up and, and, and grow the company and take it to where uh, we think it should go. Uh, that was three years ago. So I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know your 20 year old self, don't be in a rush to, uh, to get into something that you don't know anything about. Don't be in a rush to get into real estate. At 20 years old, you guys aren't making any money. Uh, half of you probably live at home with your parents after you are being rent. So you're not saving any money. So yes, there's no risk at 20 years old because you can restart your life five times over before you become 30. Uh, but don't be in a rush to, uh, to go out there and you know, try to find 20, 40, $50,000 for, for a down payment on a house or a condo or a duplex. Uh, ease into it, understand what you're buying, uh, you know, and take it, take it from there. And from a job perspective, uh, in my experience was at a university, the entry level positions require 10 years experience, right? So it's, it's kind of hard to get into real estate right off the bat, but the, the, the other types of entry level jobs, whether it's in uh, engineering firms, accounting firms, um, even like CD brokerage houses, uh, you know, they are out there, uh, but you're gonna see once you start working uh, how things kind of, not magically, but things start falling into place and you meet different, in, different individuals along the way that are, that are gonna help you, you know, uh, build your path. Good, good. I mean, patience, a lot of ways about patience, I think it's so true, so I think you nailed it. What do you tell your 20 year old self? How do you get into the game? That's like 40 odd years ago. <laughs> um, well, the nice thing about real estate is uh, it's huge. You can make it in, in a lot of different areas. You don't need to, you don't have to be a developer or you don't have to work 
at the city hall uh, doing uh, dances, uh, whatever, it, it's huge. So um, to me, I think what matters uh, the most is that first of all, you have a passion for what you're doing. It doesn't matter where you're going to do it, but make sure that there is a little feel inside that uh, uh, you, you're there in the morning, um, you know, you're, because you want to do it. Uh, you don't leave at five o'clock and you can't wait to go home. You want to be there. Don't be scared to get to look outside of the box and take and take risks. Make sure I think you are surrounded with uh, people that are ready to give you a hand, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, and I hope you will make mistakes because it's with those that you will learn. On that, let's let's uh, want to continue on that. The next round of questions, uh, difficult ones. The biggest challenge that you faced in real estate and how you overcame that challenge. Really? Uh, okay, when, I guess there's one case that comes in my mind. Um, it's never to give up, really. And that, that applies to anything. Uh, 2001, I think it was, yeah. Uh, October 2001, I was at the Caisse de and uh, trying to close a deal at the uh, Bankers Hall uh, in Calgary, uh, $378 million financing. It was the largest one in Canada on one single uh, asset property at that time. And um, uh, the deal was about uh, to to go sour. Uh, too many things, too many delays. Uh, we weren't going to meet the deadline. And uh, I called a meeting uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. We were in seven lawyers around <laughs> around the, well, it was a conference, conference call. So Sounds terrible, though. Yeah, conference call. <laughs> we were several lawyers on the call. Um, we started the conference, the conference call at 4, we finished at 7 o'clock in the morning, and uh, we closed that day. So, uh, if it wasn't for the perseverance of wanting it to have it done, I remember transferring my phone from my office to my car, from my car, I went and see my son's hockey game, uh, at the arena, and I was um, transferred at home uh, during summer. If it wasn't for the perseverance of anybody around the table who were about 11, we could have called it off and just say, uh, let's pick it up tomorrow. And the nicest thing about it, the most amazing thing is that at 7 o'clock, everybody went back to the office, people that had gone home, and we made sure we, we closed that day. So, um, challenges. Maybe it's not necessarily a, a challenge where you stumble, but basically what I want to say is that when you have a passion, when you want to achieve something, uh, you can do it. It just, you just need to push. And we'll get into work-life balance a little later. I think there's obviously no clear distinction between work-life balance for you, because you, you just, it, it's all part of one happy circle. But I, I want to know your secrets, because that, that's an amazing story. The biggest challenge, how you work here? My, my challenge, I'm not going to talk about an individual situation. Uh, you know, you can talk about fires, you can talk about uh, insurance problems, you can talk about uh, tenant bankruptcies. Um, I think right now in, in, in our business that, that we do is uh, we're, we're living probably a, a, a big challenge uh, in the sense that, uh, like we touched on before, you have a large influx of uh, of foreign buyers coming into uh, the Quebec and the Montreal market, number one. Um, so it comes down to supply and demand. There's not a lot of product on the market right now. To, uh, well, there's not a lot of product that can meet all of the demand that's out there. So what does that do? One, it drives your price of, uh, of real estate up. It'll drive your price of land up. So if you're a developer, whether it's residential, commercial, industrial, uh, your land is more expensive. Your building costs are going up as well. Uh, so it's hard to get your returns if you want. So right now we're in a, we're in a market where we have uh, uh, high demand, uh, not a lot of supply, 
and uh, borrowing rates at an all-time low. So people are that's also pushing people into the uh, into buying uh, real estate because they can hit their returns with it. So our biggest challenge right now is finding product where we can make uh, you know acceptable amount of money uh, while building a company and, and making sure to put more money in our investors' hands. So that that right now is our biggest challenge. So ways to overcome it is being creative and, and being better buyers or better builders or better developers than anybody else. It's not a question of, uh, there's not a, a, an ideal solution, but every single type of product that we look at or every type of property that's for sale that we look at, we have to find ways to be creative on how to buy it, uh, you know, and be able to buy it better than everybody else. Sam, do the same, uh, same what, what's, your, what's your biggest challenge um, that, that you face in your career, one that stands out for you? Um, two years ago, in November 2015, we had the Drummond already open for a year and a half pre-sale. We reached around 70 units sold out of 217. And uh, my partners and myself were at, at this point, we were, people were the buyers. We we they were coming. We had come out of a sort of a slowdown, like 13, 12, 14. So no one really could see what things would be in the future in at that time. So my my investors, with myself, we were like, we, we sold so many units. We're not. We haven't started construction. Some people are starting to cancel because they're running out of patience. But we have 70, tomorrow we have 68, 67, whatever and so forth. We're losing, we make one, we lose one. So we're, it's, a, it's a difficult situation. So at that point, uh, sat down and, and said, so this is it. And uh, I said, we have to start the building. And they said, we prefer to have 50% sold. So why? But, uh, <laughs> so we started it, but who could have ever imagined that today this building is like sold out and in record time. And my second one that's just started right now, we started it, is already half sold, more than half sold. So these are moments that you can't see into the future, but what can you, you have to almost you're guessing, and you have to take certain risks. So these are challenging, uh, very challenging. So that's a huge, I, I can see that as being hugely um, challenging, stressful. What does it take to overcome or to go to the next step? Is it leadership, is it guts? Like what, what, what drove the project forward? When the investors of the bank are saying no, and you're saying, hell yeah. Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, you have to you have to look at the worst case scenario and you have to organize yourself for the worst case scenario but once you start then you just focus on optimistic thoughts because you're, you're starting you're in it. so it just goes forward and i think you, you have to prepare yourself for a worst case scenario but once you're in it then you do no everything to make it work there's no looking back here there's no looking back, absolutely. Biggest challenge, and how did you overcome it? Yeah, um, I'm gonna talk for the brokers and I'm gonna continue on Jason's talk. Uh, the credibility is very hard to establish on Montreal's market. It's a small world, it's hard to get the contacts, and because there is no more space for leads or for sale, or the small blocks are getting uh, more scarce, it's so hard to get in touch with the person, the key person, so what you're doing right now is perfect. But in terms for the brokers, it's really hard to get out and talk to the right person that wants to establish in Montreal. And then to to show to that person that you know the market, you know Montreal, so it's a big problem right now. But I mean, we, we're trying to extend the platform. You try to reach out to clients before they, they tell you they need something. So it's really a relationship that you have to establish and we've, we've uh, achieved that with some of our clients, but uh, some uh, deals are harder to get, for sure. So you, I mean, you, you can basically attenuate the challenges and you can kind of um, lessen the risk by getting to know your client better 
and actually looking for opportunities that he may not even know exist. Exactly. In London right. building that's coming on the market, all the pre-leasing properties that are ongoing down down is yeah. crazy. Like maybe getting them insider information on the next Samcom building. <laughs> that could be that could be maybe an interesting yeah, opportunity sure. for this room also. <laughs> biggest challenge, how you work out? I think the biggest challenge for me was transforming from a small time developer to a credible developer. So the business of retail, it's all about relationships with tenants and retailers, and our target market is really, really small. We want to deal with really good retailers. It's very, very difficult to break in. And once you break in and you deliver, you get a lot of momentum. So that was, for me, uh, a huge challenge to be able to get there, get out of the, get out of the, I call the small time mix, and you know, into somewhere where people would actually listen to you and, and, and support your projects. How, how do you know you, you made it? I, well, I'm getting a sense of, you know, you're hustling, you're hustling, and all of a sudden, okay. you break out and, and like you're, 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 you're high flying. How do you recognize that? And how do you make sure you stay at that altitude? But, so I guess two, two questions. Yeah. So, um, how do you know that you made it? I guess you made it when retailers respect you and give you what's called an order. So today we, we do deals because we get an order. So we could have retailer XYZ who's a, who's a national and is going to call myself or leasing team and say, you know, I want a new store in this market, this market, this market. And then you made it. That's a lot easier than us having to, to, to try to match a site that we might have under contract and say, hey guys, low. Uh, yeah. When you, you stop chasing. When you, when, yeah, when you, you stop chasing, you made it. You're always chasing. <laughs> yeah. You're always chasing a little bit. But you can you can really get momentum yeah. when, you, when when the guys are coming to you because you know that you're credible and then we're able to roll. What happened? So we're able to do 20, 30, 40 deals with the same retailer, uh, and then go to the next guy and do 10, 20, 30 deals with another major retailer. The retailers they go in waves when they, yeah. they have growth, right? They lay out their program. And I guess I figured that out at a very young age when guys introduced prototype retail development in Canada. That didn't come in until the early 90s. So in the early, you know, before that, you looked at a shopping center, the developer decided on what the style would look like and the tenant put a sign up. Today, it's completely different. The tenant has an image and has a, what's called a prototype. You don't deliver the prototype, you don't get the deal. <coughs> so we figured that out early on, prototype development, and a lot of our competitors were saying, no, 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 you know, we won't do that. And uh, all of a sudden, you gain the favor of the retailer and you roll with them. So um, while you have Mike, I want to ask you right away, work-life balance, like a lot of real estate, everyone's working on weekends. I mean, there really is, you know, like, like you just heard, a uh, 24-hour conference call. Like, you know, in what other industry will that happen with seven, seven freaking lawyers? What is your advice? Is, is that, I mean, in reality, is there such a thing as work-life balance in this industry? Not at a young age. No. No, I think you have to be totally committed at a young age, if you're going to make it, and depending on, on how you define making it, but if you want to be successful, then you have to have, you have to go that always go the the extra mile and be prepared to to do what it takes to get a deal done, and that's not easy. Yeah, and so I mean, you you were you were you started your career not so long ago. What is your advice for balancing social life, family, health, trying to you know trying to stay fit? Trying to still, you know, have, you know, have weekends, go see a movie from time to time. How do you do all that while trying to break it into this, you know, this, this really this exciting industry? Like, like Michael said, I think it's hard to achieve that even at my age. Like, you're trying to prove yourself in the market. You're trying to be there the first in the office. You're trying to be late at night. And so you have to do sacrifices, but you have to be passionate about what you're doing. Like, I'm, I wouldn't be in the office at 7.30 in the morning if I didn't like what I was doing. But you have to set your ruthless priorities. And I mean, if for you it's to go train every morning, then you have to include that in your schedule. For me, I, I'm all, like 100% dedicated to work at the moment. So yes, I have a house, I have a boyfriend, so I have to take care of everything else. But honestly, you have to like what you're doing and you have to set the bar on what you're doing, what you're not doing, and just delegate other people, some of the work that sometimes needs to be done. Just delegate. Sam, do you agree with that? Just delegate? What is your, uh, what is your take on work-life balance? Obviously a couple, a couple of them. 
couple projects going on. Yeah. Uh, I mean, balance everything. Oh, she's right. It's uh, it's delegating. I think uh, you have to have good people around you that can uh, because early on, uh, I have I have my family. I have four children. Actually, my my son is here, and I don't work on weekends. Very rare. I mean, if there's something extremely important that has to get done, okay, I'll follow. I'm gonna do it. And usually by I believe that by six o'clock at night, it's time to go home, and I go home. So occasionally it's true that I'll have you know important events, uh, different things that, that may be exceptions, but I'm uh, very careful to pick and choose, and uh, I have a good team around me, so uh, it, it works. I, I really do believe that, uh, and, and uh, I think you just have to decide that this is what you're gonna do. You're gonna you're gonna take time for your family, and you're gonna work on your business. And you can have a very successful business and have a, a great family life and time with your family. I believe you can. You just have to do it. Want to do it? And do it. So I'm when it comes to Q and A, I'm gonna ask your son the first question for sure. He's sitting in the front row. Do um, you want your son to come into your industry? If he wants to. <laughs> I'll pick on I'll pick on the Okay. What do you think about work-life balance? You come from you come from Uh I yeah, know work-life balance over there. <laughs> so maybe a, maybe a con maybe a concept that you're forever choosing. I gotta say, uh, I probably work more now than I worked when I was there. But but it's the passion. It's one is the passion. One you're growing a business. Uh, you're in the driver's seat. Um, the only thing is it's on my time. So if I decide to work until two, until two, three o'clock in the morning, it's my choice that I'm working two, three o'clock in the morning. But also, you know, everyone's uh, situation is different. You know, I look at the residential people in the residential real estate. Um, I think their work-life balance uh, definition will be very different because their go time is from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. when they're meeting with clients during the week and Saturday and Sunday. You talk to the commercial guys. Um, you know, most of the time from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m., they're catching up on their day because it's go, go, go from 7 a.m. to 5 p.m. Um, my personal, you know, my day-to-day, -day, uh, my day starts relatively early. Um, my focus is, you know, trying to get home and have, have dinner with my wife. Um, it's not an early dinner. It's typically around 8, 9 o'clock at night. And then she works as well. She's a lawyer. Uh, we both open up our computers after supper and work till one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. Uh, so what you really have to do is, is find someone that compliments you that's, you know, being on the same schedule helps, that, that's, that's for sure. Um, but if you really want to make a name for yourself, especially going into a, a mature industry where most of the people sitting across from me are 20, 30 years older than me, uh, you gotta be working, you know, 16, 17, 18 hours a day uh, to make sure when you go into that room with them that you can teach them something and when they're asking you something you have the right answers. Just by show of hands, is everyone here willing to work 16, 17, 18 hours a day? That's not bad, it's like 50%. Could the rest of you leave the room right now? <laughs> Let's just get out of the way. What you forgot to say also is you're going to be working 16, 17, 18 hours a day for no one. <laughs> that, that, that makes it harder, it burns at the beginning, but it catches up, you know, with time. But I, I can tell you quite honestly, when I started my first job uh, out of university, or while I was in university, you know, a relatively large company, probably one of the largest accounting firms in the world, um, the starting salary was $31,500, divided by 100 hours a week. <laughs> so that's less than the wage. Talking about work-life balance, that's the way you told us earlier, I think it illustrates your work ethic and the boundaries that maybe you set, maybe that was a particular incident. What is your take on it on a, on a, on a career level? Well, I will not stress it uh, enough. I think that it's extremely important to keep healthy, mentally and physically. Uh, without that, you won't be able to survive, you won't be able to go to your career. So whatever you do, 
make sure that you take some time for yourself. And I'll, I'll speak from experience. It has cost me uh, quite a bit of turmoil through my, uh, my life. So uh, I'm scared to share that with you. Uh, divorce, uh, heart surgery. So uh, it's, uh, if I have one advice uh, to, uh, to give you, make sure you take some time for yourself. Uh, whatever it is, manage your time, uh, go to the gym, do some sports, uh, have some leisures. Uh, uh, without that, you're, uh, you're, it's going to be very hard. You know, if a plane is uh, going down and uh, uh, the oxygen masks come down and you've got a baby beside you, are you going to, and only one mask came down, are you going to give that mask to yourself first or to the baby? Give it to yourself first, otherwise you won't be able to save either you or the baby. So that's very important. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's amazing. Why thank you for that. Um, I want to get some interaction. I want, uh, I want to get some, some people to ask some questions uh, and then kind of break out into some more specific uh, conversations with the panel while we're still here. I think they're keeping us out of the building at 5 o'clock. Is that right-ish? Um, so guys, if you have a question, there's there's mics on the side. Who wants to be the first one before I pick on Mr. Scali's? It's just gonna be his son. Yeah, there's a mic over there. I'll give you a, I'll give you a minute to pick your questions. Hi. Hey. So my name is Isaiah, and I have is it possible to ask two questions, or should I just take one? I'll judge by the quality of the first one. <laughs> <laughs> the second one is warranted. Uh, so, you guys have been in the business for not that long, I'm assuming, but relatively young. But, um, what type of people do you like working with the most? So, in terms of like the colleagues, the people, um, the people who work for you, under you, around you, what types of qualities do you find the most valuable to have? So in other words, what kind of people do you hire? I would say, if I may, uh, somebody that I can see that looks outside of the box. Uh, somebody that has uh, uh, sparkles in the eyes. Somebody that is alive. Um, and to me, uh, uh, those are very important factors. Don't just stick to what you learned at school, and that's, it's important, but go a little step beyond uh, yeah. yeah, that's good. Anyone else uh, have any advice about uh, which other people? In, in terms of people I've always liked to work with, uh, people that do uh, what I can't do. I, I don't need another person do the same job as me or to be able to do the you know my job just as well as I can. I need someone else that's gonna be there um, and bring a, a, a level of expertise for the uh, you know for the for the projects that, that I might not know a lot about. Um, you know like I said I come from an accounting and finance background. I don't need another accounting finance person. I need lawyers. I need uh, somebody that is going to bring a fresh set of ideas that I cannot think about. That's good. Uh, the complementarity of the person I am, I think, is a fantastic piece of advice. I, I like to have uh, positive, uh, enthusiastic people with me. I, that's what I, that's what I'm looking for. I, I want positive people that, that you know, tomorrow is going to be a better day, and, and we're going to find a solution, solution-oriented. Usually it goes much better. It's, that's what that's what you're really looking for. That's what you're. If you're if you can be that way, and and you have that habit in you, then it's pretty easy to find a job. Do you ever read uh, the candidate CV? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> How important are grades? Oh, the grades! Wow. Well, you know the the, the grades will sort of. Uh, Get to, to read the rest, right? Like it's it's almost like oh gee, this person's smart. Let's let's see, and you know I'll start reading the rest. So, um, but really, you know, 
what's more important than that is uh, is a reference. Like I, ideally, the best way to get a job is that someone refers you, and 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 it's not just um, it's like someone who knows the person that's going to hire you speaks about you. That that's clearly clearly. That, that's such good advice. Over a spontaneous conjecture, uh, uh, that's I guess that goes to the testament of networking and getting involved in events, shaking your hand and kind of be creating that connection. Oh, we met at that event. Oh, you met like you no. Know, that that's that's that's, a, that's amazing advice as well. Anyone else? Um, would you guys looking for in a uh, colleague collaborator? Yeah, it's a very stressful world, so somebody that can handle the pressure, somebody that is humble and open-minded, that is that wants to learn. And for myself, I think there's two types of intelligence. Because you have a diploma doesn't mean that you're necessarily gonna like do great in the real estate yeah. world in real life. So yeah, I look at the grades, but after that, you're the person that you are and we're gonna start from there. I think that everybody can learn on the fly and it's easier and better to learn on the fly than to learn with the Finally, sir? Yeah, it's interesting. I'll, I'll admit something I should, probably shouldn't admit. We've never looked at grades. Neither have I. <laughs> but but we, are, we are looking for, for smarts, and really, ultimately, I get paid on the position. There are positions uh, within the organization that, again, that have required different skills and personalities. Um, but if I have to answer your question, I want people that will get off the pullback and not kick in the butt. Ultimately, we want that. We want the drive. You want the fire in the eyes. Yeah. Ultimately, something that's going to get it done, as opposed to having to, to push. I have no patience for that anymore. I don't want to have to push people. That's that's the idea. Then they shouldn't be, you know, necessarily in, in our structure. That's amazing. Um, I that was a good question. So I will allow number two. But I'm just going to allow one more question. If there's time, I want to come right back to you. All right. Cool. Anyone else have uh, some questions? Go ahead. Um, yes, I have a question about um, Montreal's past. I have, I'm Calabrese, so I have a lot of family here in Montreal, Toronto, and all construction. So, for a lot of, for a long, very long time, it was very difficult to do new construction in Montreal. Do you feel nowadays, 2018, do you feel there's a little bit more elbow room to do new construction projects? People are more open to it. Uh, do you feel like it's easier to deal with the unions and the city? Much more than the past. Sure. I, I think uh, dealing with the city and uh, unions, well, uh, the city, the, the, the way you have to build a relationship. You, you have to build a relationship with them, and you need to uh, uh, be organized with the, with the proper uh, professionals around you that that can uh, answer their questions and uh, produce the reports, studies that they're looking for. Um, as far as unions, well, uh, you've got to go according to the, the rules. <laughs> that's, uh, that's not much a uh, solution for this. It's, uh, so I think, uh, you know, city, it's, it's one step at a time and get them on your side. But, you know, we would never go into a zoning change or anything if we didn't have full support of all politicians and the city on our side. We would never do it. So that's the first step, full support from them. That's good, thank you. Sir. Um, this question is about uh, something Jassin mentioned, uh, especially uh, Costco that was expanding into uh, Barret. So, um, in expanding to new areas, uh, what are the differences that you can compare to, let's say, you know, real estate deals in Montreal, and you know, what is interesting, what's more difficult, and uh, yeah. I'm interested in the, on peut the, 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 I guess the highways, like there's the whole highway like circuit around Montreal, and if you establish on the island first, you don't have necessarily the zoning, the space. Just like Sutte, they expanded twice since 2010, and they have no more land to expand. 
So they want more land. Uh, Costco, uh, IKEA is taking a million square feet. So where could you find a million square feet on the island? Or even Laval, they're they're starting to lack of there's a lack of land everywhere. So I don't know if that answers your your question or anything else. Yeah, go ahead. Mais c'est sûr que Darren, ils veulent un amendement. Fait que oui, ils vont en chercher, puis ils sont plus enclins à travailler avec toi quand c'est à ce moment-là. Ils vont te permettre de construire avant même de te vendre le terrain, comme le solaire du quartier. Le terrain vient d'être vendu, mais le Nico a déjà commencé à construire. Ils sont un peu plus loose avec les règles, c'est sûr. Qui ne voudrait pas avoir un Costco ou un Darren dans sa vie? Euh, outre, outre que Bahreïn, euh, pour un jeune investisseur, quelqu'un qui recherche un marché à l'extérieur de Montréal, euh, quel marché est-ce que vous nous suggérez de regarder? Where should we put our money? What land? I'm not the investor in Europe, so if any investor wants to answer. Any hot, any hot municipalities outside of Montreal that we should look at? Anyone want to answer that? <laughs> uh, I, I think anything right now on the South Shore, is hot just because uh, the new bridge coming up, we have uh, great accessibility. Obviously, now you're going to spend a lot of time in, uh, in traffic, uh, you know, going back and forth. That's just part of uh, part of living in, in Montreal at the moment. Uh, but the infrastructure projects in place are, are making uh, South Shore more accessible. Uh, and in terms of price as well, for someone that's looking as an entry point, uh, you get a lot more for your money in the South Shore. Laval used to be like that. And then, uh, you know, with the addition of the 25 and other ways to get to and from the uh, prices have gone up. Uh, but I think your best deals right now are on the South Shore. And, you know, I live in downtown Montreal. Uh, to go from my house to, uh, let's say, Zistan, it's 10 minutes. To go from my house to St. Jacques de Richelieu, it's 25 minutes. It's not, well, it's not far, but there's no traffic. It's just a question of traffic, obviously, tends to bog down people's minds. But the addition to all these other uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the new train that, that they're building, there, there's more uh, public transport available. Uh, you know, follow, follow where the public transport is going. That's, that's always a, you know, a good indication of where the value is. The follow-up question is, when is there no traffic in Montreal? <laughs> because you, you obviously drive a Lamborghini and, 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 and drive really fast to get to the social attendance. There's always traffic for me, somehow. There, there's no traffic in Montreal. to, uh, I guess, control the growth. 
but it's uh, it's this is the most challenging thing in real estate, and I and I think it applies all over the world, whether it's United States, Canada, everywhere. It's markets begin to get heated up, and then they they escalate and es escalate until there's just too much supply, and then there's a correction, and most of the time, no one has. People, they say, but nobody really knows when the correction is going to happen because it's, it's very difficult to, to forecast that kind of thing. But, we're going to take one more. Was, you want to add something? Was anyone else still? Something very little. Go ahead. Um, the one thing, uh, not necessarily uh, Quebec or Montreal, but uh, more of a Canadian uh, uh, remark. Uh, it's our lending uh, parameters, our underwriting when we do a, a loan, especially commercial loan. Compared to the states, uh, I think we're much more conservative. And this is one thing that uh, helped Canada not to uh, add uh, the recession magnitude uh, that the states fell into in 2008-9. So uh, by uh, adding a more conservative approach in the lending industry, uh, you, uh, we are somehow uh, protected against uh, certain swamps. Thank you. One more question. Can I ask a quick question? We were talking about this earlier. Sure. So how many Concordia students are in the room? Please raise your hand. Okay, how many McGill students in the room? Any university in the Okay, you can. Okay, that's our audience. Yeah, that's good. I just started that. All right, so, two topics. Um, so just a, a general question. Uh, what advice would you give to us young uh, students, let's say, uh, to establish credibility without actually having uh, the age or the experience behind us? Go ahead, guys. I'll take a crack at it. Um, it, be trustworthy. Uh, trustworthy is extremely important. Uh, it's a very, very, very small market, uh, whether you're in Montreal, Quebec. Um, everybody knows everybody. Uh, you, know, you screw someone once and they'll remember it for the next 50 years. Uh, it, it's extremely important to uh, you know, be true to your work. Uh, you, you get a very bad rap by uh, uh, you know, you know, not being honest with, with people, and uh, especially in real estate, uh, because everybody knows each other, it's very hard to, to continue to do one project after another if you lose credibility in the market. So I think I think the most important thing uh, is to be honest. I agree. Honesty, best policy, right? Yep. Anyone else? Anyone else with any remarks? I think you, you really have to work, you have to know the city, you have to go out there, walk the buildings, walk the, the buildings we're talking, mid-rise, low-rise, breaking beams, what's that type of building. If you bring that knowledge and you bring that open-mindedness, that will bring you a lot of value. Just to gain your credibility, first of all, you've got to get in there somehow, and you've got to perform, you've got to outperform, you've got to perform better than anybody else, and that's how you will get credibility quickly. The better you perform, the more quickly you'll, you'll become credible. So, we're going to end there, and uh, you guys will be available if people want to flood the stage and ask uh, some questions. So, everyone's available, guys. Um, that was really good. A lot of the stuff was really good. Thank you very much. 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 Which is rare, so you guys have a parallel access these experts um, take advantage of it. I almost provide you. You get to ask your dad a question. I almost provide you. You got the last question. Uh, just him? <laughs> <laughs> you can ask it to your dad. This is your chance to ask your dad with, you know, with whatever's, whatever's on your mind in front of a huge crowd. When you finally see returns in your business, 
do you start saving or do you just keep putting it back in your business? Do you, do you keep taking more risks or do you uh, Give it to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or do you give it to something else good? Um, that's a very good question. Do you continue, at what point do you continue to reinvest in your business? And at what point if you have investors, like Sam was talking about, when do you start showing your investors a taste of all, all the fruits of your labor? And obviously I'll let you down that. <laughs> <laughs> good question. I, I think you do a little bit of both. Uh, I think you have to, you know, take some money out, make sure that, you know, you're, you're safe and you're, you're personally debt-free and it would be a, is ideal. And, and then you keep investing with your money to, um, to grow. But I, I don't believe in, in continuously betting the farm over and over and over again. I, I think it's not the right approach. But I'll let, I'll let the, the other uh, panel I can speak for Michael and myself just because of our, our businesses are very similar in terms of structure. So because of tax structure for real estate trusts, we have to give our returns to our investors. A certain amount of our money has to get paid out. Uh, so there's not much left in the business for us after. And then it, it, it's funny the way it happens. So we, we pay it out and then when another project comes up, we have to ask for it back. Yeah, that, that's one way of, of looking at it. Um, I don't think that we're betting the farm anymore. Hope not. Uh, it's probably not not smart because we built so real estate's a really great way to build wealth. So we built a, a amount of wealth by taking an enterprise public and taking it from a from a small small share price to a much larger share price. Case case the business has doubled what, over the last three years, two two three years. So that's, that's a real win, that's wealth creation, and the challenge is to keep building it, and to build it, well, you've got to take some risk. If you're not going to take any risk, you're not going to build the business. But the equity is there, and uh, obviously, you'd like to grow it, or, or at least maintain it. I'd like to grow it, and that, that's our challenge. Guys, that concludes this panel. Before I let everyone leave, we're going to take a group selfie. <laughs> is everyone cool with a group selfie? Uh, All right, good. And then, uh, you guys are going to be sticking around? We can do this? You guys will be uh, sticking around for some questions? Yeah. Okay, good. So thank you, group self. You guys want to come? You guys want to come close? Let's do this. Thanks for watching. This is very close to everybody. Okay. If Alan's a generous video, we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Everyone raise their hands, let's go! Thanks guys, thanks for being here.